I think that having both the media and commerce allows us to reach this like full spectrum of wine drinkers. We've done a lot of research on this. There's there's a whole market of casual wine drinkers and they're really important. They might not have a huge collection, but they're buying wine regularly. It might be at the grocery store. It might be more affordable wine, but they're regular wine consumers and we want to make sure that we're delivering something to them that they need. You're listening to Retail Remix, your inside access to candid conversations with the people shaping retail's future. Here's your host, Alicia Esposito. I'm not going to lie. I would consider myself a casual wine drinker. I know white, I know red, I know rosé, and I know bubbly. But when you get into specific names or types of wine, I quickly glaze over. The team at Wine Enthusiast knows that it's a reality for many consumers, and their goal is to make the wine and spirit browsing and buying experience not just easier, but a bit less overwhelming and even enjoyable. Erica Strom Silberstein is president of commerce at Wine Enthusiast. And she's working hand-in-hand with her sister, who spearheads the content and media side of the business, to really accomplish this goal. In today's conversation, we get into how they're doing that by focusing on content, great digital experiences, and even fulfillment. They're doing some really innovative things, so check it out and uh, enjoy this conversation. Erica, thanks for being on the show. It's great to meet you. Thanks so much for having me, Alicia. So you're currently the president of commerce at Wine Enthusiast. But before we get into the day-to-day work and the things that you're seeing in your particular area of the business, I want to zoom out a little bit and talk about your history with the brand. You've been in various roles for 15 years, and you have some deep connections to the business, of course, which I'd love for you to share. But I think my bigger question for you is, What has kept you excited and invigorated about being a part of Wine Enthusiast over this very, very expansive career? Sure. Thank you. That's a great question. So I'd say, of course, being connected to the wine industry is fun and always changing. But Wine Enthusiast in itself, as a company, we have a very entrepreneurial spirit. And I think if you asked anyone at any level, they would say the same thing. In fact, we have asked our employees. We're a family-owned business um, founded by my parents, uh, Sybil and Adam Strum in 1979. They founded the business when they got married. And we've always been family-owned. We've never had outside funding. And we've really grown from within by trusting our teams and letting them experiment. And since I've been in my role, we've tried to kind of take a step back and do some of these uh, soul-searching activities that big brands do, such as corporate values. And one value that was really important to me was innovation. You do hear it a lot from other companies, but we really feel it's very key to us, which is letting people test and fail and improve. It's okay to try something and have it not work. And I don't want people to ever feel like something was a bad idea, especially because often it's in the execution. And so I think that's really allowed us to thrive for over 40 years in many, many different situations. You know, before the pandemic, there's been all kinds of uh, meta influences 
in the world. And I sort of like to tell people that you can't break the business. <laughs> Just see what happens. Try something. That's kind of how I grew up. I've been in the business for over a decade and I did have had various bosses and I felt like they always let me try things. So I try to, uh, to do that with my teams and we try to do that as a company. And then just with respect to wine itself, one of the goals of the business when my parents founded it in the late 70s was to make wine more accessible. I feel like that's a term people throw around a lot, but especially with wine, it's sometimes viewed as sort of like elitist or snobby and we really, really try to kind of erase all that. But there's a lot of more work to do. I think wine is still really intimidating. People are much more comfortable talking about their favorite food than their favorite wine. And we really want that to change. And people should view it just as a beverage that should be enjoyed rather than um, status symbol. So that's kind of always kept me going is that drive to make wine more approachable and accessible for all kinds of people. I love that. Yeah, I know. I've had many conversations with some of my friends and even colleagues. Any Anytime we talk about wine, there there is that level of intimidation or the joke is like, oh, what's your favorite wine? Oh, the red one. Um, and I'm sure we'll get into some of the ways that your team or other teams at Wine Enthusiasts are, are trying to simplify things or just make the entire experience a bit more enjoyable. And I, I know that your current role, your president of commerce, was announced this summer or so. So you've you've had a, a few months in action. So I'd love for you to kind of share a little bit of a glimpse into what your day-to-day kind of looks like as you strive to stay true to the wine enthusiast brand and accomplish that goal of making shopping for wine more accessible and, and overall more enjoyable for such a diverse range of consumers. Sure. Yeah. Well, I've been trying, it started with the core values, which my sister and I really spearheaded because we're co-presidents now. I've been trying to do a lot of sort of future thinking. One thing that happens when the company is so entrepreneurial is we're kind of always, it's great to always try things, but you also want people to feel like there's a plan. So I've been trying to lead this uh, strategic planning process to really get us to think three years out. So we don't feel like we're kind of jumping around from project to project and just kind of letting momentum guide things. Um, That's been really good to sort of rally the team around. And, you know, we try to kind of like walk the walk, not just talk the talk. So when we talk about bringing in people, getting making wine more approachable, we also try to do that internally at the company. So in this planning process, we've involved people at all levels. We want to get everyone's opinion. People have helped us do research, think of new ideas. And really, we've been sharing the whole time. So transparency is really, really important to me at the company. So that's been a big focus, planning and and making sure everyone's involved in that planning. And then secondly, I'd say this bringing together of content and commerce, now that my, my sister and I are working hand in hand, we can really work together in, in coming up with ways that the two businesses can support each other. The two businesses being Wine Enthusiast Commerce and Wine Enthusiast Magazine, Wine Enthusiast Media, I should say. And then on a personal level, for me, I've been so used to constantly executing that I've been trying to learn to do more delegating and supporting and mentoring. So trying to sort of 
have a succession plan for myself. <laughs> Not that I'm going anywhere, but trying to hire really smart junior people who can do what I do way better than I ever could and let go of some things and let other people run with it. So I'd say training that next generation and then supporting the new team. So it used to be that it was sort of like managers and directors report to me. And now this the C-level team is, is reporting to me. So trying to find my way, how do I want to manage and how can I support them without, you know, meddling too much. Yeah, nobody likes a micromanager, right? <laughs> <laughs> well, and I, I think it's a really fine balance. I mean, I could imagine because, again, you're, you're so close to the roots of the business and you know the most important drivers for staying true to that brand, but then giving people that proper leeway to bring new ideas to the forefront, test new things. I think keeping that culture of innovation alive while still being true to the essence of the brand, I'm sure that's a bit of a juggling act. So, I mean, good on you for like giving people the credence to, you know, take that type of action and to own their projects and find their passions within the business. I'm sure that makes a really big impact on engagement. Yeah, I think so. You know, one thing that's hard when you've been in business for decades is getting away from that we've tried that mentality. I'm doing air quotes. <laughs> you know, we tried that. It didn't work. And so just saying, well, let's try it again or let's try it differently. That sometimes happens when you have new hires and they have all these great ideas. And then you have the team that's been in place for, for 20, 30 years. It's like, well, we did that. So just kind of trying to quiet the noise and let people have the freedom. Yeah, no, that's excellent. Well, and so far in 2021, I think these metrics may be a few months old, but from that announcement, it was shared that wine enthusiasts saw 50% growth in 2021 so far. That was around early summer, which is very exciting. So I'm wondering, I mean, like, what do you think are the drivers of this growth? Because I feel like there are a few different things going on. Obviously, wine enthusiasts has this great culture of innovation that, that you've fantastically outlined, which I appreciate. But then there's also a lot of shifts in consumer behaviors, right? Like we've seen online shopping for wine and spirits really reach new heights over the course of the pandemic. And you have your content side of the organization as well. So it seems like there are a few different things going on that, that could support this fantastic growth. But I'd love your take on, on what you're seeing and, and what you believe are key contributors. Sure. Yeah, it has continued so far in 2021 into the year because I feel like we had really good foundation. So, of course, you know, COVID has been devastating. It did change consumer behavior and the fact that so many people were, of course, home. And, and even now, with the ability for people to go out and do things, you know, thanks to vaccines and such, there's still just a lot of interest in sprucing up, sprucing up people's homes. People are still not quite traveling as much as they used to, even though it's bounced back. So, you know, I would say that trend of people staying home, people that had maybe some money reserved for a cruise or a big trip to Napa. Um, we definitely saw a lot in 2020 that that sort of fueled purchases of wine cellars. And I think that's helping a bit in 2021 as well. But, you know, I think people also just found that staying home was nice. And when they're home, they want to make it special. And so I think that trend helped us for sure, in addition to a lot of other sort of home decor brands. 
And even though you don't want to feel like you're profiting off a terrible time, one thing I would say is that it makes me feel really good that in scary times, we're providing this kind of respite to our customers and to our readers because everybody needs a break. And if you're home and you get joy from opening a you know beautiful wine cellar that we've shipped to your house or finding the latest cool Pinot Noir from Oregon, that's like a great deal. And we provide that expertise. There's just like those little moments really can, can make people feel feel good in, in like in scary times. So I think that's been sort of a nice benefit. But then also people are people are just consuming so much media right now. I think that helped the media business as well. And they want expertise. And some of the things I mentioned before, we've we really had to be nimble. You know, it, it wasn't easy to sort of shift to this new hybrid work model, but we've tried it and we've seen that things are still going really well. And we like trusting our employees to work from wherever they feel most productive so I'd say definitely the outside environment did help fuel sales, but like our ability to be nimble, try new things and let people sort of thrive as they need to. So I'd say we've been lucky, but we, we have also made some smart choices too. That's great. Excellent. And you noted earlier that you're always trying to think a few steps ahead, one of which your big priority is your three-year strategy and plans for growing the business. And I'm sure you can't get into the nitty gritty details, but I mean, at a high level, what things are you focusing on or, you know, what is guiding your personal brainstorming and research, especially as we inch closer to the new year? I'm not sure if holiday is a big thing for you, but I mean, what what's really top of mind for you from an investment standpoint, a customer experience standpoint? Yeah, absolutely. And holiday is huge for us. That is absolutely the most important time of the year, which we're, I can't believe, getting close to now. I know. Um, <laughs> I can't believe we're here already. <laughs> so we don't, we don't have the plan done, but I, I do feel we're in a place where I see some real themes emerging. The first one is we just really have to catch up to best of breed retailers in our speed of delivery and our customer communication. So we are making a lot of investments in multiple locations for warehousing, doing our own trucking service, which I'm super, super excited about. I actually just saw the the delivery team's um, t-shirts and the kind of wrapper for the truck today, which is just like something I've wanted for probably many, many years that we've been not, haven't quite made the investment in that we're doing now. So once we have that rolled out, when you buy a wine cellar from us in the tri-state area, where that's kind of our pilot location, you will get a wine enthusiast employee delivering it. They'll have all the information they can tell you about setting up your wine cellar and giving you tips. It won't be a third party, which is, is what you see you know, really often with furniture delivery. And I just want to get better than that. So trucking distribution centers and communication investments, texting. These are things that I sort of feel like new hyper-focused retailers are outpacing us right now and we need to catch up. So I'd say speed of delivery and customer communication is number one. Um, and then we're we're thinking about testing some top of the funnel marketing. I know that's kind of jargony, but I think for this podcast, people people know what that means. But we're very much 
a catalog brand. That's how we were founded. And so we've always measured direct mail, you know, every single penny measured very closely. And But it's really time to do more branding things, more brand awareness. So we're looking at TV. We're looking at maybe brick and mortar. And we're looking at maybe additional social spending. So those are some really big. I don't quite know what it'll look like, but they will either be back half of 2021 or 2022 initiatives. And then thirdly, I have talked a lot about people. People are so important, especially right now. We're growing and we're hiring. So getting key people into new roles is as far as priority. I wouldn't say it's third priority. It's just as important as the other two I mentioned. If anyone's looking for a job out there, check our career opportunities page. <laughs> there we have you a lot go. of positions. <laughs> we'll also link to that in the show notes too, just in case. Okay, so there's some really good things going on here. So fulfillment, a big, honestly, a big thing, I think, across the retail industry. We're seeing a lot of retailers and brands realize how big a role fulfillment plays in that brand promise. And I like that it's an employee actually going through that process with the customer. So fulfillment, customer communication, top of funnel engagement. So I guess my follow-up question for you is, like, as we kind of get into the tech and the tactical side of things, are there any trends that we think are especially exciting or may have potential for the wine enthusiast brand and business? Like one thing that came to mind for me as I was researching for this conversation is like, oh, like I wonder if there's opportunity for say like social commerce, but I I could imagine there's some complexity just given that you're in the wine business, but anything like that, that you're like, oh, like there could be a place for this in our portfolio or our marketing mix, especially as we get into 2022. Yeah, well, we do um, spend quite a bit on social. We see actually Pinterest is one of our best for actually driving commerce because people are, you know, planning their home improvements and things. So we've seen Pinterest kind of trail off a little bit this year as people are going outside more and doing a little bit less home decor work. We are thinking, I, I wouldn't say we have anything, you know, in the near term, But we have all this data that we've acquired between the media business and the commerce business, first party opt-in data. We never, ever buy an email list or farm customers from other people. But we have have everyone from people that have purchased an expensive wine cellar to people that have just read an article. And like, how do we use AI or something to make sure we're always giving each person what they need, no matter what phase of their kind of like wine journey they're on. That's a term that we, that we like to use. So I don't quite know what it looks like, but something around AI and personalization so that we take advantage of all the customer information we have, but not in a creepy way, (laughs) in a way that, that we make sure we're giving them better messaging and not just kind of assuming things about them. We're just kind of using to get the right message out. Yeah, I love that. I'm sure that ties nicely into the content side of the business or wine enthusiast media, which we've talked about a little bit, but I do want to dig a little bit deeper into it because I myself as a content person, I always find it fascinating to see how brands drive that education and that empowerment and use content as a vehicle for building trust and, you know, just showing confidence to the consumer, like, yes, you made the right decision by sticking with us. And like, here are all the ways we can help you get the most value out of your, not just this one purchase, but maybe future purchases as well. So can you share a little bit about how 
wine enthusiast media is kind of supporting the commerce side and vice versa. Like, I guess, what does that customer journey look like for wine enthusiasts as a whole, especially because you, you noted earlier that more consumers are looking for that content and that insight around navigating the wine worlds a little bit better? Yeah, sure. Well, we do have sort of a big initiative going on, which is we're migrating our websites into one. So it's going to be more fluid, um, that flow between content and commerce. Right now we have two different sites. That is a very big project we'll roll out in probably Q2 of 2022. I don't think it'll look different as far as what we're doing. It'll just be all in the same place. So hopefully more seamless But we have been using the media as sort of a lead gen type of service. So when you want to check out a wine rating or read an article about the best bourbons that aren't from Kentucky, which is a controversial article, (laughs) we had some Kentuckians mad at us about that one. Our editors spend so much time tasting and checking sources and like this is real journalism. They're not just choosing, you know, four bottles. 40 bottles from wherever. And we don't have a paywall. We have no plans to implement a paywall. But for us, like the currency is just giving us your email address. So we'll use our content, not all of our content, but some of our most impactful content as a lead gen, where we just ask to read the rest of this article, simply give us your email address and you'll get access to the best of year lists, all types of things that really are, are wine enthusiast exclusives. So that's like probably the biggest way that we connect the two. And when, when we launch the new site, we're going to try to do a better job of it. But I think that having both the media and commerce allows us to reach this like full spectrum of wine drinkers because we've done a lot of research on this. There's, there's a whole market of casual wine drinkers and they're really important. They might not have a huge collection, but they're buying wine regularly. It might be at the grocery store. It might be more affordable wine, but they're regular wine consumers. And we want to make sure that we're delivering something to them that they need. And so I feel that having both media and commerce helps us reach those people that are just getting into wine or don't have any plans to ever become a collector, but they're important wine consumers. And those people might just want to read an article and get tips. They might not want to make a purchase, but having an outlet to sort of reach them through the content allows us to kind of reach a broader spectrum, which we are on the content side. It's really a media business. So they want to reach every, if you have a wine brand, they want to read, you want to reach every wine consumer possible. So having both of those sort of lets us connect the dots to reach a much bigger audience. Yeah. And I could imagine, too, that there are so many opportunities to come up with these very distinct content strategies for these different audiences. Like you said, it's the people who don't really know much about wine, but they want to learn more, or maybe they just have like a one-time need and they're just trying to make the best decision, or they're super, super passionate about it. Like there are a few different layers of of audience there, but then there's also the different stages of the decision-making process and like what type of content like fuels those stages. So I could imagine a lot of great opportunities for compelling content, but also some opportunity for crossover. So it's very fascinating to hear that you're trying to integrate those experiences together to make it easier. So I guess from a crossover standpoint, I mean, like, how are you seeing that 
shakeout for most customers? Like, are you seeing an organic crossover right now from like the media side and people are making the distinct decision to go to the commerce side of things or vice versa? I mean, can you share anything about like how that's working out for you right now as you embark on that integration process? Sure. Yeah, I'd say what's really been top of mind in our discussions is respecting the intent of the user. So when someone comes to the site and they want to read an article about, uh, let's say, 30 Pinot Noirs under $30, we want to let them read the article. (laughs) We don't want to annoy them. Like, buy this, buy this. We want to respect their mentality and what they're in the mood to do because I don't know about you, but if I'm reading something, it's just not natural for me to just like get interrupted and decide to buy something instead. And vice versa, if I'm buying something, I want to decide if I want to make that purchase, maybe I'll abandon or maybe I'll make the order, but it's kind of hard to go in between both. So we're trying to really like make it to not interrupt people. So that's kind of what I was mentioning with the email acquisition strategy. And we do see that later on, I think because we're respecting the visit and we're not annoying them, they feel trust in us. And we do attribute, I won't give you the dollar amounts, but we do attribute a pretty good amount of sales from the emails we acquire from content. That's very, very exciting. I know there have been many conversations on the marketing side of things that that there's more pressure to prove the value of certain investments. And I'm sure content is one of those things because it's like, oh, sometimes you can make a distinct purchase like from content, but like sometimes it gets a little fuzzy depending on where people are coming from or what channels they're using. So very exciting to see that there is a clear connection there. Erica, this has been fantastic to get an inside look, so to speak, on all the fantastic things happening at Wine Enthusiast. I guess to close out our conversation today, I would love to kind of get your high-level view as far as how you think the wine enthusiast consumer has changed, what you've learned, I mean, especially over the past year about them and, and what you're prioritizing as you try to better serve them. Sure. Yeah. I mean, what I guess what I would say is we're trying to really respect the diversity of taste that exists. There's so much, much choice now, whether it be... Of course, wine, beer, kombucha, hard kombucha, cider, cider and wine mixtures, hard seltzer. There's just so much variety and we want to respect what people enjoy. And so we've had to really broaden our content coverage too, to to not just different types of alcoholic beverages, but non-alcoholic as well, because everybody needs a break. Uh, you can't drink every night. And that's an important time too, the nights when people take a break, and but they still want something special. There's so many really cool non-alcoholic brands that actually make it feel like a treat. They come in beautiful bottles. I don't know if you've seen uh, Liars. They make really nice, really nice non-alcoholic beverages. And so We're trying to expand to reach all those consumers and, you know, be more of a beverage brand and try less to be the authority than, I guess, the partner. Even though we have so much expertise, we don't want people to feel that we're telling them what to do. And so I think when my parents were founding the business, it was very much, this is the right glass for this wine. 
and you have to use this glass for this wine. Otherwise, it's wrong, <laughs> you know? But that was kind of like what was in vogue in the 80s. And But now it's use a stem glass, use a stemless glass, use a short stem, um, use a water tumbler, use whatever you like. Uh, it's, you don't have to use a white wine glass, much that you don't have to drink wine every night. You can take breaks and you can drink kombucha and you can drink whatever you like. So I think trying less to fight and, and sort of be authoritative and just be more uh, more respectful and, and like a partner and sort of a trusted friend is, is kind of the new way that we're trying to take the company going forward. That's great, Erica. And that, I think that's a very fascinating and important distinction in tone, in style, in experience. I could imagine it it goes from content all the way through to like the tools and the resources you can provide on the commerce side of things, right? It's not like you're trying to pigeonhole your audience into doing one specific thing or believing a certain thing or behaving a certain way. It's really saying we're building this around you, which I think is why good personalization is so effective, right? And I think for this particular space, there are so many interesting dynamics, there are so many changes happening at the product level, that it's very refreshing, I guess you could say that that wine enthusiast is embracing that rather than trying to fight it or or just have a very rigid view of what the brand needs to be. Absolutely. Well, Erica, this has been fantastic. Thank you again so much for taking the time out to chat with me and for being so transparent and, and sharing some great details into what you're focusing on. Appreciate the time. Thanks so much for having me. I really enjoyed it. And to all of you, if you enjoyed this conversation or have any follow-up feedback or questions for Erica, we would love to continue those conversations with you. Drop us a line on social media, on Twitter at our touchpoints or at retail touchpoints on LinkedIn. Or if you're so inclined, drop us a review on your preferred podcast player. We would love to hear what you think of this episode and the show as a whole. And if you haven't done so already, subscribe to the show. You'll get great conversations like this one with Erica every Monday when new episodes are available. We're on Spotify, Stitcher, Apple Podcasts, or frankly, anywhere else. Thanks again to you, Erica, and to everyone listening today. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode of Retail Remix. Be sure to subscribe so you never miss an episode. You can find us on your favorite podcast player. Until next time, keep mixing it up. <laughs>